Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. We're continuing our series all about worship, creating a culture of worship here at Kalos Church. And I want to start off by asking a question. Have you ever given an apology that wasn't accepted by the one you were apologizing to? You know, sometimes Amrita and I get in a little bit of a fight. We're pastors, but we're still human. There's tension there. And I, I, I will apologize and I'll say, hey, Amrita, I'm sorry I did whatever I did. And she'll say, okay. Is that really an apology, or are you just trying to get me out of your face? I need to know you mean it. <laughs> and then I'll say, all right, honey, from the depths of my heart, from the bottom of my humanity, everything I am, honey boo-boo, I just want to say, my little cocaine bear. <laughs> it's a reference to the movie, not a, not a habit. <laughs> I'll just say, honey boo-boo bear, I, uh, I apologize to you. Please accept my apology. And she say, all right, I can tell you mean your apology, but do you even know what you're apologizing for? Anybody ever get in that situation? Do you even know why you're sorry? Are you just apologizing with a sincere heart so we can move on from this issue? She's like, tell me what you're sorry for. I want to hear it. I need to hear it. So I'll say, okay, okay, I got to get specific here. Honey, boo-boo bear, from the depths of my heart, I'm so sorry that I used all the toilet paper and I didn't refill it. And because of my selfishness and narcissism, I left you in in a very inconvenient situation. Will you accept my apology? And she does. And she forgives me. And here's the reality. The apology, when it just has heart, but it has no knowledge, isn't a worthy apology. It doesn't hit, doesn't hit home. But when I just have knowledge, but with no heart, it doesn't hit home either. For a, an apology to connect and to be effective, I need to know what I'm doing, and I need to feel the apology that I'm giving. Anybody feel like you have someone in this room that needed to hear that? You need to learn how to apologize the right way. You know, and so it's this combination of knowledge and intent, head and heart, education and emotion, doctrine and devotion that makes the sincere apology hit home. In the same way, when it comes to our life of worship, God asks us to worship him in specific ways if we are going to truly connect with him in the way that he wants. And he introduces this idea in John chapter 4 of the Father, our Heavenly Father. He's seeking us as worship to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I want to dive a little bit more deeply into what this means for us today. So let's read again from John chapter 4, starting in verse 21. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in, say it with me, spirit and in truth. So Jesus is talking to the famous woman at the well about worship. She tries to make this a geographical debate. Should we worship at the temple or at this mountain? And Jesus says, no, this isn't about a physical location. God is spirit. And if you're going to truly worship him, you need to worship him in spirit. And remember, this is right after John chapter 3, where Jesus says, hey, unless you are born again, in other translations, born from a Above, in other translations, born by the Spirit, you will not have this life through Jesus Christ. You need to be born again in the Spirit. Anybody here been born again, born from above by the Spirit of God, made a new creation, transformed by Him? And so He says, if you're going to worship God who is Spirit, you need to be birthed into the spiritual experience, this life. And not only do we worship Him in Spirit, we need to worship him in truth. And we know that the scriptures also say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we encounter the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit becomes our teacher and he guides us into truth. And the Holy Spirit will always lift up the name of Jesus. And so when we worship, we're not just worshiping whatever we want, however we want. We're not exchanging the creator for created things. No, when we worship, we exclusively lift up the name of Jesus as the name above every single name. Can I get a good amen? And so we worship in spirit and in truth. But what I've noticed in church life is many of us oftentimes fall into the ditches of two different camps. Some of us like to worship in the spirit. We like to have these spiritual, emotional experiences. We like to have church spirit. Some of us had school spirit, but this is a very intense emotional action and worship. Some of us fall into the other camp where we worship in truth. It's an intellectual, cerebral experience. We're passionate about good doctrine and good organizational alignment with church creeds and history and doctrine, all of that we have mentioned before. And uh, this is kind of wild. We're my people who like to worship emotionally. You like to get in here. You're just ready. You want to dance. You want to move your body. You want to express yourself loud. Anybody here a physically expressive worshiper? You're like, all right, I'm here on Sunday morning. You walk in here and the intro video is playing. You're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I feel your spirit. Your hands are moving. You're swaying. The shofar is out. You got a flag maybe. I don't know. It just, it gets wild. You're crying in every single moment. It's just like the spiritual felt experience. It's very emotional. And I, I've seen some of you worship. I love it. I like to be physically expressive in worship. And sometimes I see some of y'all worshiping on Sunday morning. And uh, it reminds me of how I used to worship when I became a Christian in the 90s. And this is what worship looked like back then. Let's play this video. To conquer and to win. The renewed mind is the key to the Christ in me. The renewed mind is the key to the Christ in me. The renewed mind is the key to the Christ in me. We know that the renewed mind is the key to the power that we need. The world is gonna see. 
Amen. I'm used to have every one of those moves memorized. Ask her after service to do the dance. <laughs> Nah, that's just not true. <laughs> but I, I love that, man. People are ready to move their body for the Lord. Get in the rhythm. They felt the rhythm. Some of us, we fall into the other camp where we're like this intellectual, cerebral being when it comes to worship. We love the chorus, I shall not be moved. And we just kind of hang out and we're like, Jesus, you make me smile. Smile. You make me smile. It makes me want to. Shout, hallelujah, stomp. You know, you're just like the stoic experience. You're not showing any emotion, but the Lord is doing something in your mind. You're processing the words, the doctrine. The Lord is renewing your mind. But on the outside, people might not even recognize what's going on with you. Anybody here like to focus on the intellectual as you worship? You want to make sure we have sound doctrine. You're paying attention to the theology, the word choices. And that that's like what you look forward to the most. And this is something that I I relate to as well. But when we fall into these camps and we're not healthy and there's not balance, it can become an emotional frenzy of shallow worship where when the worship music isn't right, when the lighting's not right, when you're just not in the mood, you can't worship because you don't feel like it. And so then your emotions are leading you instead of God. And I, I'm just not feeling it this morning. Not my vibe. I don't feel good. But then the, the danger over here is that we can have dead religion. We can have doctrine, but we don't have devotion and we become hypocrites. It's like, we're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. We're saying the, the right words, but our, our heart's not into it at all. And so today, as we're shaping the culture of Kalo's church, when it comes to worship, I want to make sure we can worship God the way he wants to worship in spirit and in truth. And so we're going to dive in a little bit more for what these mean for us today. And I just want to say, I love that you are all here on a Sunday morning because what it does show me is whether you fall into the spirit or the truth camp, uh, you're here because you love God, you're curious about God, you're hungry about God, and you're wanting to worship Jesus. And I just want to say, man, thank you for that, because our Heavenly Father is worthy of all worship, and He's seeking worshipers, and you're here worshiping Him. And I, I just think that's so beautiful, and I, I, that gets me excited to see what God is going to do in this environment. And so what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth, to have head and heart, doctrine and devotion, education and emotion. What does it look like? Well, the first thing I just want to share to clarify is, number one, I believe that worship is an emotional experience. Worship is an emotional experience. Some of us have felt guilty because we're moved by God in worship. Some of us have felt like I'm a little bit too loud. I'm a little bit too expressive. I'm a little bit out there. And I, I want to let you know that Worship is a place to be emotional, and that's okay. There's a, a theologian from the 18th century named Jonathan Edwards, and he writes this. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express, provoke religious affections or emotions, religious emotions. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and to do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame, that those things have a tendency to move our affections or to move our heart and emotions. And so uh, I think there is a reason when it comes to birthdays that we sing happy birthday instead of recite it. Like my daughter, Nala, she just turned four 
last week and we went to Chuck E. Cheese and God help me, I do not know how that giant rat has lasted through the test of time and generations. Children love this giant rat named Chuck or they choose a mouse named Mickey. How are these rodents thriving when it comes to the formation of our children and entertainment? Can someone explain? They're like way more friendly animals than a rat named Chuck, middle name E? What is going on here? Anyways, so we, my, my, my seven-year-old son is terrified, rightfully, of this rat. But uh, the rat came out on the birthday. And could you imagine giant rat costume comes out and is like, I don't want to emotionally manipulate these kids. I, I don't want to stir up, you know, shallow hype. I want the real thing. So instead of singing happy birthday, I'm just going to recite it. So giant rat. Four-year-old daughter. Hey there, little girl. <laughs> I'm Chuck. <laughs> Are you ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Nala. Happy birthday, dear, to you. Wouldn't that be creepy? It's creepy right now. Just imagining that. There's a reason we sing songs and we don't just recite songs. And according to Jonathan Edwards, theologian, pastor, it is to incorporate the emotional part of who we are. You are an emotional creature. You have emotions, boys and girls, and that's okay. And this is a part of our makeup. And so I, I, I literally have had Actually, I think, it was, I think it was you, Monica. Back in the day, you uh, came up to me and you said, Pastor... I, uh, I love worship and I, I love the word. And I'm so sorry that I started clapping in the middle of worship in the sermon. And I started shouting amen because the resurrection power of Jesus Christ moved me to express myself. I'm so sorry. She's like, I know this is a cerebral church in Pacific Northwest and everybody has a library card. Like, <laughs> and we're, not, we're not supposed to be loud. And I was like, my goodness, no. We want your devotion. Your devotion is welcome here at Kalos Church. We can express ourselves. We can clap. We can use our emotions to glorify the Lord. Can I get an emotional amen? Come on, somebody. Like, it's welcome here. It's okay here. And for those of us who are afraid of, you know, are, is that just the musical chords or is that Christ? Is that hype or is it hope? I just want to let you know, yes, music and emotion can be used to manipulate people but so can the silent treatment. <laughs> you know, you can use music to manipulate someone, but if you don't talk to them for a couple of months and give them the cold shoulder, that can manip manipulate people too, amen? You can also manipulate people with intellectualism. I could use quotes to make people feel inferior, or like they haven't read the Bible. Everything manipulates everybody. I mean, my clothes manipulating my wife. Like everything manipulates something. <laughs> We impact people. We influence people. But we want to create an environment where all of that is directed towards God and not ourselves, where we're bringing attention and lifting up the name of Jesus. I mean, the word spirit that Jesus uses here is translated uh, in the Greek to mean breath or you know, wind. And so this is something that is raw. It can't be contained. The wind goes where it's going to go. It's, it's powerful. And, and art and beauty by, 
by nature are meant to be evocative and provocative. Like I'm moved by art. I'm moved by music. It's meant to stir my affections. And I, I believe, especially in a church called Kalos, which means beautiful, we're going to use art and beauty and all of these things to lift up the name of Jesus. I'm reminded about what Jesus says to the religious leaders who had all the right doctrine. In verse 6 of chapter 15 in Matthew, he says, Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Verse 7, here's some harsh statements. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips. They have the right words, the doctrine. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So God doesn't just want us to have the right words. He wants our heart, the seat of our emotions, our affections. He wants all of that. In uh, Ephesians 5, I love this verse. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. That's the alternative to getting drunk on wine. And so when we're filled with the spirit, what does that lead to? It leads to speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your what? From your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we get drunk on wine, our inhibitions are Lord, so my friends have told me. And you say some things you may not have said before. You're not as reserved. Maybe your body is a little bit more expressive. It impacts how you act. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's a little too loud. All right. <laughs> it impacts you. And, and, and Paul here is saying, do not get drunk on wine, but instead, he says, instead, be filled with the spirit. Meaning, let, let it impact you. Let it, let it shape you. Let it adjust your personality just like alcohol would to you. This is real. And what does it lead to? Making music from your heart. Singing songs from the spirit. I mean, when was the last time you let the spirit lead you in worship? Or change your personality? Someone's like, you're acting different because of the spirit of God. When was the last time your personality shifted because you were filled with the spirit of God. We're called to worship God in spirit. It takes God to worship God. We are called to worship in spirit. And I, you know, I, I, I did get saved. I became a Christian in the nineties when worship was a little bit more goofy. We had like cartoon animals singing hallelujah songs. We were like jumping and clapping all the time. We would dance in the river, you know, all of that stuff. We'd sing what David's saying. He, I'm going to get even more undignified than this. Some would call it foolishness. It, it was a little wild. It was a little sweaty. It, it was, it was, anybody know what I'm talking about? But yeah, it, it was great. And I think we've lost some of that as our worship has gotten better, I think. Our music has gotten better. But we, sadly, I think have gotten a little bit more sophisticated. And we're like afraid, like real emotion in church is only sadness. When people say, I just want us to be authentic. It usually means not jumping, right? Like it's for some reason, sad emotions are authentic. But if someone's positive and joyful, that's toxic positivity. And so, I mean, have you ever felt guilty for being happy around someone who's sad? And I feel like we've made that the culture of our American church. I don't want to feel guilty for having the joy of the Lord because I got the joy in the, the Lord down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. 
Down to my heart. <laughs> Anyways, that was an old song in case you didn't know. <laughs> and so uh, worship is an emotional experience. Can I get a good amen? And so let's embrace that. Number two, I want to share this. Worship is an intellectual experience. Didn't see that coming, did you? Colossians 3 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, check this out. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the one who illuminates the scriptures. Jesus is the one who fulfills the scriptures. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your what? Hearts to the Lord. And so as we grow in wisdom, as we allow the word of Christ to dwell in our hearts, we start singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And so we are singing as a response to the word of God. I, I want to like just level with you that sometimes we sing things before we believe them. And sometimes we believe things because we sing them. In other words, worship songs are portable theology. And here's the danger of this. And the question we need to ask ourselves, and a question of spiritual leadership that we ask all the time, worship songs are portable theology. And if music moves you, you must ask, where is it moving me? Are these songs moving me towards the, the character of Christ, to the image of our Lord? Are they worship? Are they leading me to another religion or false doctrine or heresy? What is happening in my soul as I sing these songs? And worship music, yeah, it, it's changed a lot from even like modern worship from back where it used to be. Like, let me show you some lyrics that, that we used to sing in the historical church. Uh, let's put this picture up and I'm going to show you a contrast. So, uh, all right. So here's an older song on the top. Be thou my wisdom, thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great father, I thy true son, thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Doctrine, beautiful, shaping how we see God, how he's shaping us. And then here, here's an example of modern worship. Everywhere I go, I see you. 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 Yeah! <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, it's a good song, but something's changed. <laughs> Can you notice the difference? <laughs> something's changed in the intellectual formation of our mind in worship. And that's scary because how we worship is how we believe. And how we believe determines how we act and live our lives. So it's important that we sing things that are theologically constructive and, and, and helpful. Like it, and we know this down in my heart. Like if I, if I, if I sing songs like I surrender some, I surrender, you know, you'd be like, that doesn't feel right. No, it's I surrender all, right? If we sing songs like how great is this song? You'd be like, no, how, how great is our God, <laughs> right? We instinctually know that we need sound doctrine so we can worship God the way that he wants to worship. So there, there's a balance of these camps. And I want to read a quote that kind of summarizes the balance that we need to have and the dangers without. 
Truth without emotion, this quote says, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. And so, so we need both doctrine and devotion, education and emotion. Because what we sing will really shape us. You know, I went to this conference about two years ago and we're talking about theological worship. And they give this illustration, which uses math, which I'm not great at math, but he, he showcased the power to manipulate people with music, which was really wild. So help me out. Can you clap on beat with me? And God help me, I'm going to try to do some simple math. And so try, try to do the math with me, all right? Here we go. Say it out loud. 10 plus 10 is? 20 plus 20 is? 40 plus 60 is? 100 plus 200? 300 plus 1,000, 1,300 times 2, 2,600 times 2 is 6,000. Okay. Something just happened at the end. Did you feel the confusion? Did you feel the tension? Let me tell you what happened. I ended with 2,600 times 2, and I led us in saying 6,000. Sad to say, half of you guys joined me in saying 6,000. The other half of you said the right number, which is? That's right. I'm not good at math. <laughs> so anyways, for half of us, for those of you who said the wrong number with me, 6,000 instead of like 5,200 or whatever is the right number. Uh, for those of us who said the wrong number, I I'm assuming you have some sort of education. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us even have degrees. But when you had a, like a charismatic leader with a microphone, good looking, fit, uh, <laughs> super humble, like you have a charismatic leader with a microphone mixing with some rhythm, look how easily I was able to deceive you. And that can happen in our worship music as well. We can sing things and be manipulated to believing things that are heresy. And that, that's the danger of music and why, why we need to cultivate a heart of worship with sound doctrine, with fear and trembling, saying, Lord, I want to worship you in, in truth. Can I get a good amen? And so, I mean, and, and even Jesus, he was tempted with a false kind of worship. And he had to pull in the scriptures to correct this. In, in Matthew 4, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tempted by the devil. And it says, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The devil says, I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. And look, he says, for the scriptures say, so now he's appealing to truth, doctrine. He says, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of him. And so when we're lifting up songs of Jesus, we need to make sure, like, where is this leading us? Is this sound doctrine? Is this good? The devil tried to get Jesus to worship him, but then Jesus brought up the scriptures and says, no, I'm not worshiping anybody but the Lord our God. He alone is worthy of my worship. And that is the truth aspect, that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. All of our worship is directed towards him. 
You know, I was at this concert in, in Seattle with a pretty famous worship leader, and this story really grieves my heart. We're singing these songs. He wrote this famous, famous song that goes like, God, you make beautiful things. And I, I love this song. And so we're all singing this. We're lifting up the name of Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, you make beautiful things. God, you make beautiful things. All of this stuff. And then he says, all right, you guys, I want you to, instead of you, I don't want you to say the word you. I don't want you to say Jesus or God. Let's, let's replace that with the Hindu God, Krishna. And let's, let's start worshiping Krishna with the song that I wrote for Jesus. All right, now let's replace God or Jesus with Buddha. And now, now let's replace it to worship someone next to you. And they started using this emotional singing song to lead people in their first step away from Jesus. And it just made me grieve. And I, I saw people that I had been their pastors before. I'm like, no, don't get caught up in this emotional moment. Like, don't, don't, don't get caught up in this, 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 this horrible thing. Cause I, I believe that Jesus is the only one truly worthy of our worship. And we can't just choose and pick which God we want and just apply it to the Bible because Jesus is very clear right here. When the devil tried to get Jesus to switch the name of who he worshiped, Jesus responds, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus Christ. And so we need to be careful that we incorporate a sound mind and sound doctrine and sound theology as we worship, amen? And so I want to summarize kind of what I'm sharing with, with this line. Worship without spirit is hypocrisy. Like you can say the right words, but your heart is far from God. So you're a hypocrite, like Jesus called those people, the religious leaders. Worship without spirit is hypocrisy. But worship without truth is idolatry. When you just pick a different God of the week, whatever you want, according to Jesus, who says, no one goes to the Father except for through me. I am the door, I am the gate, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we need spirit and truth, doctrine and devotion, head and heart, education and emotion. And so even as we pick songs for Sunday morning experiences, we're as a worship team, we have a great worship team, don't we? That lead us in song. Let's give them a round of applause. So good. But we're, we're constantly asking the questions for the songs we pick. Is this theologically rich? Is it, is it truthful? Is it lined up with church history, doctrine, creeds, the scriptures? Is it theologically rich? Is it congregationally accessible? Can people enter into this with their hearts, with all of who they are, their emotions? And is it aesthetically beautiful? Does it evoke the senses and the emotions? Are we making known the beauty of Jesus? And so with those in mind, our, our prayer is that we would have an environment where the spirit of God, not, not the spirit of man, not wise and persuasive words, but the spirit of God would move your heart towards him and change your mind to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that is our prayer. And uh, I, I, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, but I want to close with this story. You know, a number of years ago, two years ago, it was like the height of the COVID shutdowns. We had been online for like 50 weeks and corporate worship, Sunday morning gatherings, singing with the people of God has been a crutch for me in my, my story. I need to worship with you. I, I need to be in this group. Otherwise, I kind of go astray and going that long without, you know, singing with the people of God, all the turmoil of that time. And then we had some health issues with our children. 
Many of you know our son has special needs, and then our daughter is going through some scares as well, and I, I just couldn't handle it anymore. My mind was questioning the character of God, and my heart wanted to give him the silent treatment. It was just, it was so difficult. Have you ever been there? It was, it was so difficult. And I, I just had a hard time entering in. And then I went to this conference in Colorado Springs. And it was the first time I'd experienced live musical worship in almost a year. And it was in the mountains. You could see the, the backdrop of the Rockies and beautiful music. And this place has got theologically rich lyrics. And we're just singing. And I'm telling you, within the first 10 minutes of this experience, I fell to my knees and I began weeping uncontrollably to the point where I was making all the other pastors a little uncomfortable. They're like, are you okay, brother? I'm in a glass cage of emotion. <laughs> like, they're like, all right, we'll just, we'll just leave you. <laughs> I was just like sobbing and I, I'm, I'm like wailing a little bit. It's a little awkward. And I just, all of my trauma, all my pain, uh, it was encountering the presence of God. And in that environment, I began to sing theological truths about God with the strength of the people around me when honestly my mind was still wrestling. I was singing things like, God, you are good. But I'm also thinking, are you that good? Because my kids are kind of going through it. And uh, if I was God, I would do things differently. <laughs> you know, but I had the, the theological wisdom of the ages and the scriptures guiding me to say, Lord, Help me conform my mind. Help me to hold every thought captive through the power of song and bring it to you. Because what we sing, we start to believe. We don't just sing because we believe. Sometimes we believe because we sing. And I was able to confess these truths. And then the presence of God started to just like arrest my heart. And I began to feel like, oh God, I need you. I want you. And I felt his embrace. He started to stir my affections and move me. That's why I was crying. And he was doing this like deep healing work in my heart and my life. And it was this combination of spirit and truth that began to set the course of my life in a different direction. And I'm still a pastor here today because I, I, I talked to the board. I said, I don't know if I can be a pastor anymore. I don't know if I can be a father, a husband. I don't know if I can do any of this anymore. They said, let's just get you in environments where you can be in the presence of God. And that's why we want to do this series because honestly, as pastors, one of the best things, the best thing we can do is simply cultivate a house, an environment where we help you enter into the presence of God. And we let the truth of God's word, who he is, shape you. We believe this is good for all of us. Not just because we're supposed to do it, because we desperately need God in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. And so today, I, I just want to challenge you. Will you worship God the way he wants you to worship him? in spirit and in truth. And will you allow God to transform your heart and change your mind today? I know we're in different camps, but would you allow God to transform your heart and change your mind today? Maybe you've been resistant to worship. You've been resistant to entering in. Would you allow him to do in your life what only he can do? Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.